Check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's go time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border Border 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a Tuesday. Happy New Year, everybody. Hopefully you had a uh, good time on December 31st. You carried it over to January 1st and you're ready to tackle the new year 2024. And um, first show of the new year, first show in a couple of weeks. So we're going to be recapping a lot of things and stuff like that. But it's not like I'm going to go back to uh, December 25th and be like, well, on December 25th, uh, this happened. We're not going to do that. But got a lot to get into on the show today. You know what we do usually on that first show of the week? We have no guests. Uh, because I, I've got a lot to say. You know, when you are single and you live alone, you talk to the wall and the wall doesn't really answer you. So this is why I was excited to come back. I could have probably done some stuff earlier, but uh, I am here today uh, and the rest of the week. Bob will have his first show on Thursday. Uh, so certainly if you've been itching to talk to any of us, you can certainly do so. Phone number is 327-0888. That is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. Uh, Lewis is itching to answer the phone for any of your calls and talk about anything, whether it is college football, college basketball, pro football, uh, the NBA. I mean, I may not be able to help you as much as as Lewis might, but we'll certainly get into that and uh, whatever else you want to talk about. The Hot Stove, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. We're almost at the point uh, when they announce the new Hall of Fame class that we do the, the, the rant that I do every year for that. Uh, we could talk commanders. We could talk whatever. So um, basically, the phone lines are open for you. But basically, what the show is going to be, we will talk a lot of NFL. Last week of the season coming up for the commanders. It's been a wild time the past couple weeks. If you're a uh, Washington fan, we could certainly talk about that. Uh, college basketball. There are some games of interest tonight. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um some interesting results the past couple weeks. UVA somehow lost to Notre Dame in South Bend. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, college football. Uh, we can recap, you know, disappointment for James Madison. Uh, high on Virginia Tech entering next season. Um, we'll do some of that. And, of course, anything else that's on your mind, uh, we can certainly do that. But I want to start out with college football because, as I was told by the many talking heads in the media and the many people who cover this sport for a living. College football's dead. Didn't you all hear that? College football's dead. NIL's killing the sport. Transfer portal killing the sport. Like, the sport is just dead. I didn't get that sense yesterday during the uh, the college football playoff semifinals um, when you basically had two games that came down to the last play. I would say that that's not significant in terms of college football being dead. There were positives yesterday. There were negatives yesterday. There were way too many commercials yesterday. The Texas-Washington game ended at about, oh goodness, I think almost 1 o'clock last night. Now part of that was Washington nearly blew it. For those of you who aren't watching, we'll tell you how that game ended. Um, but the, the football itself was great. And I'll say this. I still think that Florida State should have been in. I, it's been driving me wild and I'm sure there's some of you listening that are like, wait a second, did you say Florida State? They just lost 63-3 to, to to Georgia. I still think Florida State would have, should have been in. 
I still think they should have been in potentially over Alabama. I still think that Florida State, whose roster was ravaged by everybody saying, I'm not playing for the Orange Bowl, I don't really care. I still think a full-strength Florida State with just a backup quarterback would have made that game as interesting as, as, as Alabama did. Florida State's defense is better than Alabama's. Florida State's offense, like, what did Alabama's offense do yesterday? They scored 20 points. That was it. Like, they got a couple rushing touchdowns. Super. Like, would we have had that much of a difference if Florida State was in there instead of Alabama? I just, I don't think so. So, um, I st- you know, the committee got, did pretty well. I still think Florida State should have been in. But um, we have our best two teams playing for the national championship, and that's all you can ask for in any sort of sport. That's all you can ask for in any sort of sport is that when you get down to your final game of the season, your best two teams or two good teams that are going to provide great storylines are playing in your championship game, and Michigan and Washington are your best two teams. Michigan has uh, opened around a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Total is 55-and-a-half. We will certainly get into this game as the week goes along. We'll have uh, somebody on to talk about the game. Nationally, we'll have uh, Tim Murray on, hopefully on Friday, to give you the handicapping side of the game. Early on, I I like Washington plus the points. I also think this might be an over, maybe. Haven't had a full chance to digest it, so don't lock me in on anything. But as of now, last night I actually took a small piece of Washington. They were plus five on FanDuel, I think, at one point. So um, that's an early thought. But for last night, you know, it's funny. You look at what Michigan did, and Michigan made almost every possible mistake that you could possibly make. You know, the the punts that, that were dropped, uh, the missed field goal, the missed extra point. Like, Michigan did everything possible to lose that game. And yet, in the end, when it mattered, J.J. McCarthy made the plays. Blake Corm ran in for the touchdown in overtime. And I think the more the media comes out with the Connor Stallion story and the sign-stealing scandal and all that stuff, I think the more the media comes out and says all these things, it's bringing Michigan even closer together. Like, there's just nothing, because you can't you can't say a Connor Stallion stole signs from Alabama. You can't say anything else. Like, Michigan on the field beat Alabama when it mattered. Um you know, this is not your Alabama of old. This is not the Devonta Smith Alabama. This is not the Jalen Hurts, the Tua Alabama. Like, their offense was good. Jalen Milrow is good, but he's not great. He's not great. And Michigan took advantage of it. Jalen Milrow had a fumble. Alabama made some mistakes of their own. But Michigan came away in overtime and got the victory. And I'll say this. I mean... The final play of the game, we had two timeouts. We had both teams calling timeout in that fourth down in overtime. Michigan called timeout. They set up the formation. Um, and then Alabama called timeout. They Who knows? Maybe they changed the play. Who knows? Um, we had both teams call timeout. We had this thing set up perfectly. And Alabama's play call was a run up the middle with the quarterback with no option to throw the ball or no option to go anywhere. Like, it drives me crazy. As a sports fan and and a football fan, it drives me crazy to see you have all these plays. And I'm sure it's easy for me to say in my Barco lounger, I don't even know if we call them anymore, for my couch, whatever, to sit there and say, well, this is the play you should have called. It's probably easy for me to say. But there's so many things to consider. You know, you've got, as an offensive coordinator, you probably have a list of like hundreds of plays. And then you're thinking, well, what is the defensive coordinator thinking you're going to do? And then what am I going to do? Am I going to break a tendency that I have? You know, there's this play I usually run on fourth down, but it doesn't always work. Like, it's easy for me to say as I'm stuffing potato chips in my mouth or uh, drinking whatever I'm drinking to watch this game to say, oh, you should have done this play. But like, 
seriously? It's fourth down. You have a, a dynamic quarterback who who is great with his legs and has a mobility that at times gave Michigan a lot of problems. And all of a sudden, you just do a fourth like a fourth down plunge. Now somebody did a video that showed the guard on the right side um, pulled and opened a hole on the left side, but I, it didn't look like it was still enough for him to get through. So. It was very disappointing to see Alabama do that. And then the natural thing that came out on Twitter afterwards were all the little Georgia fans are like, would we have beaten them? What what would the line have been in this game? Like, Georgia wasn't even the one that, that shouldn't have been in there. It should have been Florida State. Like, Georgia lost to Alabama. When Georgia lost to Alabama, they lost all claim to being in the in the top four. By that virtue alone, if we were doing the four best teams... We probably were pretty close to that last night. Maybe Texas doesn't get in. Maybe Georgia gets in. But, like, Texas got in by the virtue of the fact that Alabama got in and they beat Alabama. So I thought it was funny. And then last night for game two, Washington, I mean, Michael Penix Jr., I am, as a person who roots against the Commanders in two games a season and 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 doesn't want to see them necessarily, you know, win the division... Not saying I hate the Commanders, not saying any of that sort of stuff. As somebody who likes the Commanders to be good enough that I don't have to talk about negative stuff every year, but I want them to be bad enough that they don't take a playoff spot from the Eagles, it would behoove the Commanders, who right now sit at number two in the draft order, to take Michael Penix as their quarterback. Now, the one thing is Michael Penix is 24 years old. So that doesn't exactly help Michael Penix when you look at you know the other guys that you could possibly be drafting. Being tw- well, he's 23 right now. He'd be 24 by the time he takes the field next year. Michael Penix has all the stuff you want. He's got a great arm. He's got great calm. He's got mobility. He 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 doesn't get sacked a lot. Now that's also because Washington is the best offensive line in college football is voted on. I think it's the Joe Moore Award, whatever it is. Washington has, and plus he's got four NFL wide receivers almost. He's not going to have that when he actually gets to the NFL because assuming he gets drafted by a team like the Commanders, he's going to have like two. But Washington did everything they could to lose that game last night. So for those who are not listening, and, and we'll take our break. I know we're, we're running a little long. Here's how the end of the game happened. All right, I'm going to pull up the, the play-by-play because a lot of you were probably asleep. And I envy you because obviously you did the right thing. So here's what happens. First off, Texas scores a touchdown. And I wasn't thinking about this at the time. Texas scores a touchdown with 7.23 left. They kick the extra point to make it six instead of going for two, which would have made it five. Okay? I didn't think of it at the time. Everybody on Twitter said, why did you not go for two? Okay, they're smarter than I am. Then Texas goes on a field goal drive, and they make it nine. So it's 37-28 with 2.40 left in the game. Texas drives down. They get to the seven-yard line. They kick a field goal with 109 left to go. So all they need, basically, is, you know, you try an onside kick, whatever it is. Um, They had two timeouts left. Two timeouts, think about it. And it's 109, so you're like, basically the game is going to run out, and if Texas gets the ball back, they're going to have not a lot of time. So 109 left, Washington recovers the onside kick. First down, they run it for two yards, uh, so it's second and eight. Texas calls timeout, three seconds come off the clock. Second and eight, they run it again for three yards. It's third and five. Texas calls a timeout, okay? Then it's third and five with 102 left on the clock. They run for no gain, but 
Dylan Johnson gets hurt for Washington, so that stops the clock, so they can't run out the clock. Now, if you take knees that whole time, because if you notice, and this could be me overthinking things, they ran off three seconds and four seconds on those two plays. If you take two knees, that's about the same. Okay, you take a knee, you, you run back a little bit, maybe you wait a second, you take a knee. Then the second time, you take a knee, and it's almost the same time, and then you do it a third time, and guess what? The running back doesn't get hurt, um, and you run off the full complement of seconds. Instead, they ran the play, Dylan Johnson gets hurt, stops the clock with 50 seconds left. Then they punt the ball. And they fair Texas Fair catches it, and Washington runs into the guy, kick catching interference. So with 45 seconds left, they are on the Texas 31 yard line with no timeouts left. All right, so you're sitting there. It's still a long way to go. You need to go the length of the field. It's 55 yards. Uh, excuse me, it's um, 69 yards in 45 seconds. Okay, first down incomplete. Second down incomplete. Third down, they get a 41-yard catch by Jordan Whittington, which was an outstanding catch. So they are on the 28-yard line with 20 seconds left to go. Incomplete pass. All right. Then they get another completion to the running back, 16 yards. They're down to the 12-yard line. Washington actually calls timeout with 15 seconds left. So there is 15 seconds left, and they're on the 12-yard line. This is a Washington team that was up 9 with 2.40 left to go. Okay? Crazy. Then after that, Texas does, I don't even know what this play call was. They throw a pass to the running back out of the backfield. He only gets minus one, and he gets out of bounds, luckily. So there's 10 seconds left. You lost the yard. You're on the 13-yard line. And then they throw two more incompletions, and there's one second left. And then Texas throws another incompletion and loses the game. But Washington literally could have never had any of this happen if they just took knees. Like, I don't understand. That's the other thing, like... How do people not understand these end-of-game concepts that happen? Like, how do you not understand how to properly run the end game? Washington was the better team. No doubt in my mind, the better team won the game. But, man, they nearly blew a huge lead and an opportunity to make the national championship. And I think Washington has as much of a shot as anybody to win this game. I think they have a shot. Uh, it depends on what their running back does. But you know what? Washington doesn't need their running back. Washington is the best quarterback in America. By the way, Jaden Daniels should not have been the Heisman. Michael Penix Jr. should have been the Heisman. Michael Penix Jr. Uh, has done it on a larger stage than Jaden Daniels did because Jaden Daniels is not playing anymore. And the reason why he's not playing anymore is because his team lost too much. Now their defense was terrible, but whatever. Like, Jay, This is why you need to have the Heisman vote at the end of the season, the complete end of the season. But no, we're, we're never going to get there. So it's Washington and Michigan. It was nearly Texas and Michigan, and half the people on the East Coast probably didn't see it because it was way too late. Uh, 327-0888, that is the phone number, that is the text line, 804 is the area code. Let's take a timeout. Coming up, we'll talk about some of the other bowl games. Uh, Liberty just didn't, it's not that they didn't show up, they just got outclassed. I mean, you know, Oregon's just that much better than them. We'll talk about that. Virginia Tech, we'll touch on JMU, all that stuff from bowl season, uh, and we'll kind of close the books on the college football aspect, at least for the state of Virginia, and we'll get into some college basketball, the NFL, all that good stuff as we recap the past couple of weeks taking up to four o'clock you're listening to 1061 espn the nfl season is in full swing and we don't want anyone to forget we have nfl coverage every sunday afternoon as well as every dallas cowboys broadcast here on your home for sports in the river city 1061 espn richmond for some it's the luxury for the dallas cowboys all season is 1061 espn brought to you by arthur's electric and park and go 
Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. No guests today. We'll take you up to 4 o'clock. We're working on some stuff for the week as we go along. Uh, Mike Barber will join the show tomorrow. We'll talk all things UVA and tech uh, with him. And um, we got some other stuff that we're working on. Some player guests potentially. We'll keep you posted as it goes along. Uh, 3270-888. That's the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. I feel like the only thing I ask for, well, two different things. From the players, the only thing I think I ask for as a fan is effort. Like I think I I, that's, I don't think it's too much for me to ask that when I watch a game uh, and I'm watching a team that I'm rooting for, <clears throat> the Eagles, uh, to just give me effort, like to try hard, to say like if you walked off the field and you think you gave your max effort and you did everything you could to help your team win or lose, like okay, I'll take it. I think that's all I'm, I'm looking for. Like when I talk about the frustration of the end of the Texas game and things like that and the Alabama game, and the thing I ask for for my coaches is like, just don't have any regrets at the end of the game. Like, you know, Nick Saban and I don't know who the, oh, Tommy Reese, the offense coordinator for Alabama. Like, you know that they're probably regretting their play call at the at, uh, fourth down. You know that Washington's probably regretting not taking knees to end the game or at least drain as much more of the clock as possible against Texas. Like, all I'm asking for, I can't expect my coaches and my players to be perfect. I just want max effort from the players, and I just want the coaches to have as few regrets as possible. Because as I, as I think, you know, you're never going to have perfect um, when it comes to that sort of thing. But... You know, those are the two things I'm asking for. Obviously, yesterday, you know, Liberty scores in the first drive of the game. Everybody's really excited. They're like, oh, is this going to happen? And and then Oregon scored 45 straight points. Look, I think Liberty had a really great season. I think Liberty, they're not the best team in the state. Like, let's not let's not get it twisted at all. Like, the best team in the state is still James Madison. Um, Liberty's probably number two. And um, I, I just don't. I'm not going to change how the season finished for um, Liberty, even though they lost. Here's the thing. Liberty played the easiest schedule in the country, by far. As in, like, they played as many bad teams as possible. They didn't play a single Power 5 school, and they took advantage of it. Like, I can't fault them for that. They took advantage of it, and they did what they were supposed to. But the fact that they had played nobody meant they were going to struggle with a team like Oregon who's going to come at them in all sorts of different directions. And, you know, I'm not taking away from Liberty season, but that was kind of expected last night. That's why you saw Oregon was a, I think, 18-point favorite, whatever it was. Once you saw that Bo Nix was going to play in the game, you knew this was not going to happen. You knew that Liberty was going to lose. And if Bo Nix had sat out, maybe some other people sat out, like Oregon treated this game like it was a serious game and they wanted to send a message to Liberty. And that's what they did. So I'm not going to, it was a great season for Liberty. The publicity, the amount of money they made, the, the Fiesta Bowl exposure that they got, it's all tremendous things. Here's the funny part. I'm looking at next year's schedule already for, for Liberty. Now look, Conference USA is easy, so it doesn't really matter. Campbell, East Carolina, at App State, at UMass. So there's one tough game in there. There's one tough game in there, but it might behoove Liberty in future years to kind of schedule a little tougher and not be like Duke in college basketball and not be somewhat like VCU, who did leave, but played the majority of their games at home. Like, Liberty might want to look at trying to schedule a little harder. Now, they may not have a, as good of a team in a while. Caden Salter, it looks like, is going to come back. Now, I haven't heard of anything that says he's going to transfer or, or he's leaving early. So that's going to be huge for their team because he was – arguably one of the best quarterbacks in America. But, like, 
there's nothing there's nothing that takes away from the season because they lost 45 to 6. Um I'll say this, I've never been higher on Virginia Tech than I am for next year and there's been years where I'm high on Virginia Tech entering the year and it of course falls miserably short. But like once again, Virginia Tech in a pouring rainstorm and against a team that was playing nobody could essentially have folded up and just basically said, "Yeah, we don't really care." You know, we're six and six. We're in a bowl game. It's what two and a half hours away from home. Like we don't, you know, we're playing Tulane, but it's not really Tulane. Like they could have kind of half-assed it out there, and they didn't. Chiron Drones gives me all the hope in the world that they're going to have a really good season next year. You look. The whole wide receiving core is coming back. That's including Ollie Jennings. Ollie Jennings is coming back next year. Um, you know, I have not seen anything that says Tootin has made a decision yet. Um, he's a junior right now. Of course, I always feel hesitant to say like, oh, are they? You know, do they have any eligibility left? Malachi Thomas is was a sophomore, so he'll be a junior. Like we just saw Nick Gallo say he's coming back for the for the Hokies. Um, I couldn't be any higher on Tech next year. And here's the thing, like. There's no reason why Tech couldn't make the ACC championship game next year. If you look, and I'm, I'm hyping this up, which I, I really don't want to do because I feel like every time I get excited about anybody, they kind of just fall by the wayside. If you look next year, Tech's non-conference schedule is at Vanderbilt, who stinks, and it's your first game of the year. Marshall at home. Obviously, revenge is on the mind. They play better at home. At ODU, well, we, don't, we never know what's going to happen with ODU. And Rutgers at home, which revenge is on the mind there as well. There's no way that they couldn't go 3-1, and 4-0 in those four games. And then you look at next year, home games against UVA, probably a win. BC, probably a win. Georgia Tech, probably a win. And Clemson, I mean, I'll tell you now. If that Clemson game's not a Thursday night game, ESPN and ACC aren't doing it right. That game should be a Thursday night game, and if they get Clemson home on a Thursday night, I, I think they can win. And then you're looking at the road trips. At Duke, we all know what a Duke road trip is. It's essentially a hokey home game anyway. At Miami will be a very tough game if it's later on in the season. Miami's playing terrible. Like, Miami won't show up. Plus, Miami can't get a transfer quarterback to come play for them. DJ Uyagalele went to Florida State, and Cam Ward decided to go pro. And then they play at Stanford. I mean, I don't think Stanford's very good. And they play at Syracuse, who I think is also going to be pretty good um, because of all the guys that the Syracuse coach is adding. But, like, there's no reason Tech couldn't go 9-3, and 10-2 with that schedule. And with everybody back on offense and a lot of people back on defense, I'm just saying, like, I don't want to – obviously, it is July, January 2nd. So a lot of things can change. There could be some transfers. There could be some other things that happen. But Virginia Tech football next year could be the best team in the state if everybody comes back. They got to come back. They got to, you know, they got to be able to, you know, build off of it. Brent Price got to continue to be a really good coach. But like I, I if and obviously if you go home and you see a sports book that has early odds on the ACC championship. I'd say throw a buck or two on, on Virginia Tech. Obviously, you can't do it here because they don't allow us to, but I'm really high on Virginia Tech next year. I just, I, I really am. And you can revisit this on, I don't know, December 25th, tw- let's see, December 23rd or so next year before Christmas when I do my last show before the Christmas vacation and say, Matt, you're an idiot. Virginia Tech six and six. And how dare you try and, you know, say we're going to be good? 
I just think everything's in place. I was very impressed. They didn't, you know, they had a ball losing streak. They had everything, every reason to not show up. And by the way, congratulations to the tech fans who actually went. Um, the you guys were really loud. You guys were really good, and you gave a great atmosphere. And obviously, the the, the team fed off of it. Um, I had a press pass. I didn't go. I didn't. No interest in driving in the rain and then sitting in the press box watching a a rain game. But you guys showed up, and that's tremendous. And I think it's going to boost. I think it, you know when people say bowls don't matter. I think you can look at that victory and say Tech's going to use that to boost themselves into next year. And use that as momentum as they have spring practices and things like that. Like I think, I think bowls for the most part, maybe it doesn't like you know you look at some of the other games and the winners, it doesn't matter or anything like that. But like I think Tech legitimately will use this as a springboard for next year. And all right, that's enough. I can't, I can't, I can't hype them up anymore. Real quick, obviously I was disappointed by the JMU game. Um, when the very first run by Air Force was like 50 yards, I'm like, mm, this is not going to go well. Um, obviously, the offense w- wasn't at their best. They only ran for 26 yards. We knew how good Air Force's defense was. That's a frustrating thing for JMU. You never know. You're never going to know if anything would have changed if Kurt Signetti was there. Like, I don't know if their coaching staff being there is going to change anything. I don't know that. You, it's an easy scapegoat. It's an easy thing to say. Well, if the coaching staff never left, then this would have happened. I don't know. I don't know if the fact that half the team put their uh, names in the transfer portal, I don't know if that affected anything. You know, Jordan McLeod played well for the most part. But it's just frustrating to know that they weren't at full strength and they weren't at, they did the best they could. You know, when they didn't get that first drive, they didn't score that first touchdown. Like, they, you know, they moved the ball a little bit. They couldn't get third and one. And then they punted, which I might have gone for it on fourth and one from the 44. I might have. I might have gone for it. And then, you know, 54-yard run, and then it was 6, 4, 9, 5, 6, 1, 1. Like, you know, that's what Air Force does to you. So it was disappointing, and I'll be interested to see what the Coach Chesney does in terms of bringing in new players and things like that. But I'll tell you right now, if I was to make my power rankings for next year in this state, I think Virginia Tech would be number one as of now. As of now. We'll see what happens. But I think the Hokies will be the best team in the state next year as of now. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. Please don't hate me if you're a Virginia fan. I'm just speaking the truth. I think the Hokie star is heading upwards. Um, We'll see what happens with that. All right, uh, as we just passed the halfway point, let's take a timeout. We're coming up. We'll do a little college basketball. Some interesting games tonight as conference play begins. A-10 conference play begins tomorrow without Spiders, who are off until Saturday. We'll get you set for all that stuff. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. For the Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here taking up to 4 o'clock. Uh, I'm on all week. Bob will be on on Thursday here uh, live from the uh, Dave Buster's studios. Thanks to them for uh, joining on with us. We're looking forward to uh, doing many things with them as we go along in 2024. Uh, 327-0888. That is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. Uh, conference play begins tonight. In the ACC, well, it you know it begins for a lot of people tonight. Some people did the whole, hey, we played a weekend. Now we're you know, uh, Wake Forest, BC tonight in Chestnut Hill, North Carolina and Pittsburgh tonight. That's in Pittsburgh, and then Syracuse and Duke. One, the only game of the year that I can't watch because it's in Duke. 
and I can't watch games in Duke because I can't stand them and because Syracuse will annoy me enough, and I don't need Duke adding on to that. So uh, that's at 9 o'clock tonight on ESPN. Uh, one state school's in action. Norfolk State is at Tennessee in a non-conference game. Norfolk State a 24-point underdog on the road to uh, Tennessee. We'll see what happens. There's also some, uh, you know, Purdue and Maryland tonight, Creighton and Georgetown. Uh, so we're really kind of getting into the focus of college basketball with the college football season having only two games left, the FBS championship and the FCS championship, which, by the way, like, I get that the FCS championship wants to have the spotlight on them, but, like, making people wait that long is kind of ridiculous. It's really kind of ridiculous to have people wait this long for the FCS championship. Um, that's just crazy to me. Um, as I mentioned, tomorrow conference play begins in the Atlantic 10. The line, excuse me, the lines are out for the early games. George Mason's a three point favorite at LaSalle. That's the 630 game. Duquesne is a two point underdog at UMass. St. Louis and Loyola Chicago's a pick'em. Uh, Rhode Island is a six point home dog to St. Joe. Fordham and GW, GW minus four. Um, VCU hosting St. Bonaventure tomorrow at 9 o'clock. VCU is a four-point favorite. Totals 133 for that one. So that's what's going on there. Um, there is uh, Virginia's in action tomorrow. Like, if Virginia loses to Louisville, then we have some serious issues. Serious issues. All right, so let's kind of talk about what we've seen so far um, over the last couple of weeks. And we'll start with the Cavaliers. Like, if you were under a rock and you were, didn't pay attention to anything when it comes to college basketball or anything in sports, you were very in-depth into your family and all that stuff, you'd think, oh, Virginia's doing pretty well. Um, And, you know, they're sitting pretty right now in the ACC. They got that first win. They're doing well. Nope. Nope. They lost 76-54 at Notre Dame. Notre Dame was 6-7 after that game. Or, excuse me, yeah, after that game. They are 6-7 on the season. Notre Dame has lost at home to Western Carolina, Georgetown, and lost by 20 to the Citadel just a few weeks ago. And then after that, after their coach came out and said, boy, your effort's pretty bad. I'll kick off anybody I need to kick off. They beat Marist by four, three days later. And then eight days later, Virginia comes to town as, I I don't remember what the exact line was, a pretty healthy favorite. And Virginia shoots 18% from three. They miss eight free throws. They give up 10 offensive rebounds. They turn the ball over 11 times. And they lose to Notre Dame 76-54. to Like, I still believe in this team. I still think there's potential there. But, man, that's certainly going to hurt. That is certainly going to hurt. And here's how much it does hurt. So, I obviously don't pay attention too much to bracketology. But Mike DeCourcy just posted his... Remember, this show is Joe Lenardi free. I don't care what the heck Joe Lenardi says. We we are Jerry Palm, Mike DeCourcy. Um, we go basically anybody other than Lenardi. Let you know Bob can have Joe Lenardi on his show. I don't want anything to do with him. Um, Virginia right now is in the playing game against Kansas State. Virginia, who and, and look, they're going to probably make the NCAA tournament. Like, if we're going to be completely honest here, like Virginia's fine. They're going to wake up out of this, but they're in the playing game right now. Virginia's net is 55. They now have a quad three loss on their resume. I don't know the last time we've had a quad three loss for Virginia in a while. This week they host Louisville, they play at NC State, and then they're off and they play at Wake Forest. 
we'll say. I mean, this team, first off, the free throw shooting, like that's another thing that drives me insane. Like every person who plays basketball should be able to practice free throws and be able to do well at free throws. It's just how much dedication you have to that sort of thing. Missing free throws is because you could take anybody off their couch and they would eventually make free throws if they practiced it enough. Like you get a scholarship to play basketball, make your free throws. They're shooting 64% as a team. That's 332nd in the country. Virginia's offense isn't good enough to be like, well, you know, if we miss free throws, we'll be fine. Virginia's not good enough offensively to just have that happen. So missing free throws, you saw, I mean, look, obviously they lost by a lot to Notre Dame, but missing eight free throws makes somewhat of a difference. So, I'm not, you know, Virginia has got to do something. They've got to win this game tomorrow and they've got to win it comfortably. Um, Virginia Tech lost to Wake Forest. They weren't really in that game. Virginia Tech, if they're not going to play defense, they're not going to win a lot of games. This is not a tournament team. They gave 86 points to Wake. Now, Wake's really good. It's not to say I'm not taking anything away from Wake. But, like, Wake got 11 offensive rebounds. Virginia Tech missed 11 threes. Tech's offense isn't good enough that they could overcome playing no defense. And we saw that against Wake Forest. Um, This week they play at Florida State on Saturday. A game that they should win. We'll see if they actually do it. I don't know if they're going to do it. They're not listed in any sort of bracketology right now. They're not even in the next four out. They're nowhere. And rightfully so. Because they just their resume is one quad one win and six quad four wins. That's all they've got. Oh, and one quad two and one quad three. That's not going to get you very far. Um... Let's go closer to home with Richmond. If you think about what Richmond's done, if I said to you, what's Richmond's record going to be before the season begins, you'd say 8-5 and most likely. You maybe would have given them uh, maybe the BC road win, but you would have taken away the UNLV neutral court win. Like, Richmond is where they're supposed to be. The problem is that there's going to be road games during the A-10. They have to start winning outside the Robin Center. They have to. Their turnover number is is tremendous. They are number two in the country in turnover percentage on offense. They do not turn the ball over. But they still can't offensive rebound, and they still don't get to the free throw line. They are two of the worst in those categories in the country. You know, it's great. They beat Lafayette. They held them to 38 points. Lafayette has one win, and it's not against a Division One team. They're this week, they are home against St. Bonaventure on Saturday. And then they start really revving the engines Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. There's a bunch of road games coming up. At Loyola Chicago on the 9th. At Duquesne on the 16th. At Davidson on the 20th. Got to win outside the building if you hope to do anything this year. There's no reason why they couldn't make the NIT, probably. There's no reason why they couldn't make the CIT or the CBI if they really want to bid for a home game or whatever. And then on the VCU side, like, this is the VCU team. And I know some Spider fans will be like, well, you're going to give VCU a different, you know, th- a spin. And you know why I'm giving VCU a different spin is because they've had two games with Sean Bairstow and three games with Joe Bamisil. And guess what? The offense has been a lot better, 87-75-87. The defense wasn't great against Gardner-Webb, but I kind of, you know, sometimes when you're home and it's not the best atmosphere and the students aren't there, it's kind of sleepy, you're going to struggle a little bit. Plus, Gardner-Webb's not terrible. VCU's home this week. Home St. Bonaventure, home GW, Wednesday and Saturday. Like, this is when I'm going to start judging VCU. From this point, well, from December 16th on, when they had their full roster. They're 3-0 so far. 
There's nothing you can do about McNeese State, by the way, who went to Michigan and won. So, like, that loss doesn't look as bad. Nothing you can do about Norfolk State, Memphis, all that stuff. Like, there's nothing you can do about all that. So, we'll see what happens with VCU. This is the team that they expected to have entering the season. This is the team that I'm going to judge. So, the people who wanted to fire Ryan Odom, like, talk to me after this stretch. And, oh, yeah, you know, all this stuff we talk about with these other teams, JMU's 13-0. JMU's 13-0. They have not lost. They are top 20 in turnover percentage. They are top 30 in effective field goal percentage. Like Their offense is humming. It is tremendous. They they crushed Texas State in their first Sun Belt game. They're not going to have a lot of challenges in the Sun Belt. You're going to see a lot of victories. The two games we'll be paying attention to, Saturday, January 13th at home against App State, Saturday, January 27th at, at, at App State. Other than that, they should get a lot of wins. This is not a good Sun Belt this year. They play at Louisiana on Thursday. They play at Southern Miss on Saturday. We'll see what happens. And then the rest of the schools, like, you know, Old Dominion's kind of struggling a little bit. Liberty, um, you know, they didn't play very well against Alabama. And, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. We'll see what they can do. You know, Conference USA is not a great conference. I think Liberty's going to rack up some wins. Then Then it just comes down to what they do in their tournament. So we'll talk plenty of college basketball as the season goes along. But those are my thoughts as to what we missed and what we've got going forward as most of the teams enter conference play. All right, let's take a time out. We will do one final segment, talk a little NFL next. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. The NFL season is in full swing, and we don't want anyone to forget. We have NFL coverage every Sunday afternoon, as well as every Dallas Cowboys broadcast. Here on your home for sports in the River City, 106.1 ESPN Richmond. Pizza's here. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. Uh, final segment as we kind of recap everything that we missed over the last few weeks and kind of look ahead. Um, obviously, it's the final week of the regular season for the uh, NFL. There are six teams who have a win and in scenario Buccaneers, Packers, Jaguars, Colts, Texans, and Bills, essentially. Oh, that's weird. I don't think the Bills do. I, I have to look over all the playoff scenarios and everything. Because I think the Bills don't get in if the Steelers... Who knows? There's a lot that's involved. But we're in the final week of the regular season. And I I, I thought it's been interesting to see... um, I think it's interesting to see what's been going on with Washington with this taking Sam Howell out and then uh, Jacoby Brissett's too hurt and now Sam Howell's back in. I I really don't think Sam Howell's back next... Well, obviously, I think he's back next year. I don't think he's the starter next year. And I think we're kind of in a situation where, as I mentioned, Commanders are number two right now, draft pick-wise. And if you think about it, they're in the opportunity right there at number two to get Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, any of those guys. They could trade down if they want to. Um... The Commanders are an opportunity to get one of the better quarterbacks. Um, you know, Sam Howell has had a awful, and I mean awful, stretch down the stretch for the Commanders. If you look at what he's done, he has had interceptions in six straight games going back to the Giants game on the November 19th. He's had just three touchdown passes over that span. He's also been sacked a bazillion times. No, it's 11, 12, 13, 14 times. And they've kind of taken, they've lightened the load a little bit. And I think that's part of the the, the reason why he's either struggling or his numbers are completely different. But, um, you know, he's average. He had a ton of games where he threw over 40 times. 
His last four games, 28, 22, 26, and 23. I get it that Sam Howell doesn't look great. I hate that they're going to kind of throw him aside because, um, you know, there's going to be a better quarterback in. And here's the question. Like, if you draft one of those guys, Sam Howell, or if uh, Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, Michael Penix, like, are you starting him week one next year? Or are you going to let Sam Howell continue? Or are you bringing a veteran in and your quarterback room next year is a veteran Sam Howell and a draft pick? Like, I don't know what you well, I don't know what the commanders are going to do. And then you kind of have to wonder, like, is Terry McLaurin still going to be there? Is Jonathan Allen going to still be there? You know, both of them have kind of had these little mumblings in terms of like, ooh, look how great it is to win. And I wish I could win. And we may never win here. Like, there's all that stuff that's going on. Like, the commanders are going to undergo a lot of things. And I know a lot of them listen to this show. Can you guys please win? So the Eagles can get an undeserved two seed, which is no guarantee either because they stink and the Giants might beat them on Sunday. But I'd really like for the Commanders to at least make the Cowboys sweat on Sunday. Yes, it is Sunday. Um, so, yeah. We'll get more into the Commanders and everything a little bit later on. Um, but it is the final week of the regular season. There are some games on Saturday. Steelers, Ravens, and Texans, Colts on Saturday. Those will be fun. Uh, the Ravens have nothing to play for. They're the one seed, and the 49ers are also the one seed, which I would be very surprised, as I've said all along, if that's not the Super Bowl we have coming up. It would be stunning to me if they did not have the uh, Super Bowl being Baltimore and San Francisco. Uh, so thanks to everybody for uh, for listening. As I said, I will be back uh, tomorrow. Uh, we, You know, we're back as we usually are, as we take you up uh, through, who knows, March, April, May, June, whatever. Uh, and Bob is back on Thursday, so certainly uh, you can check him out uh, from 4 until 6. Thanks to Lewis for all of his hard work. Uh, Mike Barber of the Times Dispatch will join us on the show tomorrow to uh, talk some who's and hokies. And we got, uh, we'll got we work on some other stuff as well. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. So you're in the middle of a kitchen update, and you can't test ESPN Studios. W291CL Lakeside, Richmond. WURVHD2 Richmond. We are 1061 ESPN. We have a five-star rating on Google and Yelp and an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. You don't need to be afraid of the IRS any longer. End your tax nightmare today by visiting us online at tra.com or call 800-575-6759. That's 800-575-6759. Tax Relief Advocates. Real solutions for real people. I'm Christine Lisi. If Sunday turns out to be Bill Belichick's last game as Patriots coach, he's not letting anyone know just yet. Amid the rumors about his future, Belichick told WEEI today he doesn't get caught up in the uncertainty, just stays focused on the present. New England caps off a third losing season in four years Sunday versus the Jets, which comes after comments in March by owner Rob, Bob Kraft that it was important for him to, for the team to make the playoffs. ESPN's Dan Graziano. I don't think they've had their heart-to-heart, face-to-face about this yet, and I don't think they will until next week. Uh, so it's difficult to predict. Uh, anytime you're trying to predict what a billionaire sports owner will do, but uh, the people around that situation do seem to think that, uh, that it feels like there's going to be a change.
ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano on Carlin versus Joe. Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett strongly denied rumors. He refused to dress as the backup to Mason Rudolph against the Seahawks. He said he was inactive for the game because he wasn't medically ready to play. Pickett, coming off of ankle surgery about a month ago, will be QB2 Saturday in Baltimore. Hey, it's your resident Super Bowl champ, Chris Candy. Coming up Wednesday, Lamar Jackson is the MVP, but is he also the player in the league with the most pressure to win a Super Bowl? It's on Sportsmanlike, 6 a.m. Eastern, right here on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, and ESPNU. From Studio 2 at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and the HD Studio in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Freddie and Harry. I came from Cal Berkeley, San Diego State. The first thing I noticed, I said, you know what? I've never seen so many girls in short dresses and swimming suits. Okay. <laughs> Cal Berkeley, they got big coats on and all of that. I said, man, why did it take me so long to come down here? What? I was like, oh, my word. Your name must be Candy. Because you look gross. The first day I walked on campus, I went, my Lord. <laughs> Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want. This is Freddie and Harry. We're working on it. We'll get it down. Working on the dance here on Freddie and Harry, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Gabe Nudgel in for Freddie Coleman, along with Harry Douglas. Harry, how you doing, bud? One hour in, you're on one, for those who are not aware, you're on one hour of accidental sleep as you were planning on not sleeping in your hotel last night because you had such an early flight after the sugar bowl that you decided you weren't going to sleep, accidentally fell asleep for an hour. How are you holding up? I have a natural high. There are people out there that need a substance, not me. I walk around with a natural high every single day, baby. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. We're an hour into the show. Uh, the next three hours are going to be a breeze for me All as right. well. So I don't have to worry. Like, I, I will cover for you. If I, see, if I look over and I see you like just dozed off, you know, taking a quick snooze, like, I'll keep talking, no. man. I'll Dozing keep talking. Off. I'll cover for you. I won't call you out on it. I'm just letting you know. I got your back. I got you're your back, boy, bud. You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> Freddie and Harry. It is time for the Freddie and Harry NFL Selection Committee. Who's in? Are they in? And who's out? Where are they? Out, out. It's time to find out from the Freddie and Harry Selection Committee. I filled in on the show last week. This was one of my favorite things that we did. And if you're new to the show, we're going to take the top four teams, just like college football. And every time you see the Selection Committee put out their top four teams, the next two that are closest to being out... I don't know. This might be even one of the last times we can do this, right? Because the, the playoff goes to 12 next year. We had our semifinals last night, championship on college football next year, or uh, next week, and next year it goes to 12. Yeah. But who do you, I think we're going to all agree here, but who do you have at number one? Number one. Num- well, damn, I didn't know it was the NFL draft, but let's keep it moving. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens, and when you look at this football team, I think top to bottom, they're complete. You look at Lamar Jackson, who is the MVP leader when it comes to those regards, but you also look at how dominating they've been. That offense has finally come along. Isaiah likely stepping in, you know, for Mark Andrews and doing an amazing job. Zay Flowers balling out. 
Odell Beckham Jr. saying that he's been on, he's on the best team that he's ever been on, top to bottom. That defense, Roquan Smith leading the way. What a 100 interception by him versus Oof. the Miami Dolphins. But they 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 are they aren't only winning football games against meaningful teams. They're drastically beating those football teams. And John Harbaugh, the culture that's in Baltimore says everything about their organization that needs to be said. That's why they're the best team in the National Football League. As long as Lamar Jackson is healthy, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders. They're going to have an opportunity to win the NFC North, I mean AFC North, and have an opportunity to win the uh, the AFC and represent them in the Super Bowl. So I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens. There's no doubt it's the Baltimore Ravens. And I don't think anybody would have blamed them if they had a little bit of a letdown game against the Dolphins this past Sunday. Because one of the hardest things to do, I think, and and Mike McCarthy used to talk about this all the time when he was in Green Bay, was stacking successes, right? Like, sometimes you have that letdown. It's just part of human nature. And after just absolutely demolishing the 49ers, you could have had a letdown. No, kept the foot on the gas and put up a 50-burger against the Miami Dolphins and just thrashed them and left no doubt about who the best team in the AFC is. And who the best team in the NFL is. The Ravens are clearly number one. And what's also been impressive is this offense, the way it's come together. Because how many times in the last handful of years, Harry, have the Ravens suffered a seemingly devastating injury the way they had with Mark Andrews this year? And that just derails the whole thing. Yep. Right? That just derails the whole offense. But no, they've got different playmakers. They've got guys like Gus Edwards stepping up in the running backs. They've got uh, Isaiah Likely. They've got... Zay Flowers and OBJ on the outside. So many different playmakers, so it's not all on Lamar. And now you're seeing some of that pressure being lifted off Lamar, and now he's also possibly playing some of the best football in his career. And that makes this team so dangerous. It's no doubt that this team is number one. Of course they're they're number one, but question for both of you guys. Harry, what's your biggest question mark right now, if anything right now that you would still have about this Ravens team or that you need to see more on a more consistent basis? Um, I would probably say because early in the year we've seen this football team blow leads. Now, we haven't seen that of late, um, but I want to make sure that that doesn't creep back at any moment because we all know when you get to the playoff t- playoff time, if you allow one of those things to happen, then that means you're going home. Secondly, I would probably say health. Lamar Jackson, as long as he's healthy, this football team has an opportunity. If Lamar Jackson is not healthy, this football team does not have an opportunity, in my opinion. I think they've kind of already answered that question, though, and and I think that's fair. Like, they did blow some leads, and I think the one everybody thinks of is the game against Cleveland, where they lost 33-31. I think they were up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Couldn't hold on. But it seems like they've had those leads in the fourth quarter the last two weeks against some of the best teams in the NFL. And they've been able to keep that foot on the gas. It feels like they've learned that lesson of, hey, we cannot let up because any offense at any time can just have that quick burst and have that big fourth quarter. And we don't want to make we want to make sure that we keep our foot down. So we're constantly pushing the ball down the field. I I don't have many questions about this team. Yes, health clearly a big one because Lamar Jackson has had issues staying healthy. I doubt he ends up playing this week. It seems like they've, I mean, they do have the number one seed wrapped up. He's got the MVP wrapped up. Doesn't make sense for him to play. I I think this team is about as complete as there is in the NFL and, and especially in the AFC. 
Let's go to number two. Number two. Who are you taking at number two, Harry? Yeah, I'm going to still stick with the San Francisco 49ers. I think they're the second best football team uh, in the NFL. I also do believe if them and the Baltimore Ravens were to play again, I don't think it would probably be the massacre that we witnessed a few night a few weeks ago uh, on Monday Night Football on Christmas night. I believe it will be a better it would be a better game because the two teams do match up, you know, kind of equally with one another. Now the quarterback position is uh, I'm taking Lamar Jackson over Brock Purdy. Yep. Uh, any day in, in in those regards, but I think everywhere else, I think this football team is pretty evenly matched. But when you look at this team right now, Christian McCaffrey. Right, he has a calf injury. I think it's imperative they they have the number one seed in the NFC right now. It's imperative that he gets healthy when it's time for him to play again, and he's 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 full throttle because he's such a weapon not only in the run game but in the pass game, and not only in the run and pass game but run after the catch or when he's in the open field, being able to make guys miss and take it the distance for touchdowns. So that's going to be pivotal. Also, you have to make sure. Trent Williams is 100%. Had a little groin injury a few weeks ago. You want to make sure that's not going to hamper or bother him moving moving down the line because Trent Williams is, is very valuable to any and everything that you want to do when it comes to physicality, your run game, and protecting your quarterback. I think the discourse on Brock Purdy went too far the other way when he had four interceptions. Look, do I, I understand why he's he was in the league MVP discussion because the way he's playing and he's not just a game manager he's better than that. But the four interceptions he's also not that guy either, right? Like he's he's definitely somewhere in between and I think you saw more of that. He he was able to make some plays against Washington this last week. This is also another complete football team. Like there's not a lot of questions outside of their health and you know with having the number 1 seed you can have Trent Williams get healthy. You can sit Christian McCaffrey and not worry about it. Hey, you got 2 weeks to get that calf ready for whoever we end up playing in the divisional round because we've got the one bye in the NFC. This is a dominant team. And especially when we start taking a look at the other teams in the NFC and contenders, the Ravens did put a blueprint out there. The problem is you need to have the right personnel to copy the blueprint. I don't think that in order to bully the 49ers, who can bully the 49ers in the NFC the way the Ravens did? I don't think there is anybody. I think the 49ers are... Clear favorites in the NFC. I have a hard time seeing them not going to the Super Bowl unless the injury bug does get them because that's what slowed them down during the three-game losing streak earlier this season. The 49ers, when you watch them, are clearly one of the best two teams in the NFL. Pretty obvious to be the number two team to me. We go ahead and move on. This is where things get interesting now. Mm-hmm. Freddie and Harry, NFL Selection Committee, picking our top four teams and two on the outside looking in the way they do in college football, but in the NFL as we now pick number three. Number three. Number three, Shannon. Who do you want to nominate and put here, Harry? Mm. Number three. So, Shannon, you know, I had a stomach virus last week. And I had, well, food poison, I should say. And, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to keep it real with y'all. I was on the toilet. And I was dropping the Browns off at the Super Bowl. So the Cleveland Browns are my number three team on the list this week. I've been trying game for the last... I I agree. That's an interesting reason to have them at number three. I I agree, but, like, (laughs) interesting reason... Wait, hold on. Why you say Shannon first? (laughs) (laughs) Are you the one who poisoned them? Like, what's going on here? Are you blaming Shannon? Well, Shannon, Shannon knew Shannon knew I had food poisoning. He knew, <laughs> Shannon knew I was 
Shannon knew I was going number two and throw it up at the same time. <laughs> Boy, so no lie, y'all. In two days, I lost nine pounds. Oh, man. In two days. I, I had to push two flights back. I had to get on the very, very last flight, like 11-something at night, <laughs> to go to New Orleans. It was bad. It was it was very, very bad. But the reason why I have the Cleveland Browns at number three, uh, Joe Flacco brings a different dynamic to this football team. David Njoku, he's unlocked him. We see how happy he is. Amari Cooper, he's happy. This past offense of the Cleveland Browns, under Joe Flacco, who's 4-1 as a starter, has looked the best it's looked in two years. On top of, you look at their schedule and who they've beaten, they've beaten the 49ers, they've beaten the Ravens, they've beaten the Jaguars, the Steelers, the Colts, the Bengals, and the Texans. The Cleveland Browns, a team I've been trying to get on this list for the last two or three weeks, are number three on my list this week. So I was in your position last week, Kerry, when we were doing, I was doing the show with Aaron Goldhammer, who does shows in Cleveland. So I, I, it didn't take much convincing to get him to put the Browns at three. But the Browns are the third best team right now in the NFL. If we're going right now, like if you're checking off things that you need in order to compete for a Super Bowl in the NFL, the Browns are checking off all the things right now. They have the dominant defense? Yeah. Do they have the defensive player of the year? Yes. I, I still can't get over, Harry, because I've never seen it, and I don't know if I'll ever see it again. When you have Miles Garrett just kind of going from one side of the you know defense to the other, and blockers are following him? Like, you're the offense. You're supposed to be dictating. No, not with Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett dictates to you. So this defense is playing great. They've got the playmakers that you mentioned. Now, Amari, you know, he had to sit out the Thursday night game, but I think he's going to be fine going forward. You bring up Najoku. They can run the football. But the big thing that you need in order to win a Super Bowl in the NFL, you need elite-level play at quarterback. And who's been better than Joe Flacco? Over the last five weeks, it's an insane thing to say out, out loud, but who's been better than Joe Flacco in the last five weeks in the NFL playing quarterback? Listen, he doesn't get enough credit for his ball handling, Pauls, right? The way he, his play fakes in the backfield, it, it, when they're in third and one, fourth and one, third and two, third and three situations, it allows the defense to suck up and make them think that it's actually a run play which allows tight ends and wide receivers to get wide open. Plus, he's the class of 2008 NFL draft class, and he's still representing for all the rest of us. So shout out to Flacco. <laughs> um, and, and, and you look, you he talked about take, their defense. He, he didn't take a little break, but he's back now. Yeah, you talk about their defense. They're number one in total defense, they're number one in pass defense, and they're number one in third down defense. I like the Cleveland Browns at number three. Shannon, what about you, man? I was going to try to disagree, but I can't at this moment. Cleveland Browns <laughs> at number three. <laughs> it sounds like you got a stomach virus, <laughs> food poison over there. Shannon has to boo-boo. You can't, you, you, you can't, fight, you can't fight against it. That's the problem. You can't fight. It makes too much sense. Try to try to make a case for somebody else over the Browns, and I can poke a hole in that team. Maybe you don't trust Joe Flacco. Do that at your own risk because, again, over the last five weeks, nobody, very few players. If, if it is, if it's anybody – it's one or two players. He's in that list of top five players who have been playing quarterback over the last five weeks. Let's get to who number four is. Number four. This is where things can get interesting, Harry. I think we may have our first disagreement, but we'll see. Who do you got at number four? I have the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Buffalo Bills still have an opportunity right now to get the number two seed and win the AFC East. 
in their division. They also have beaten the Dolphins. They've beaten the Bucks, who's first right now in the NFC South. They've beaten the Chiefs. They've beaten the Cowboys. Um, I really like this football team, and they can be dangerous in the playoffs as well. So I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. I would want to put the Dallas Cowboys here, and part of this is because the route that they have to the Super Bowl, thanks to what happened yesterday, or a couple of days ago with the Philadelphia Eagles blowing that game against the Cardinals. Because right now the Cowboys are the two seed, and they have been so good at AT&T Stadium. Yes, they would always they would also have to go to San, Fr- San Francisco at the end of the day if they win their first two playoff games. But them being at home makes a world of difference, and they look like a completely different football team. I understand they got fortunate in the way that they were able to beat the Lions because of Brad Allen not being able to figure out who's eligible, who's not eligible, who reported, who didn't report. But I think the Cowboys are just, they have dynamic playmakers defensively. The Bills are just, especially with Josh Allen, I'd probably have the Bills at five or six here. But they didn't look as good as I wanted them to against a really bad New England team on Sunday. Hmm. Okay. And I I just don't think that they are, despite beating the Cowboys not that long ago, they just, they haven't kicked it fully into that gear, I think, that, I want them to be. So I would put the Cowboys at four. I would argue for the Cowboys over the Bills at four. Shannon? I'm going to go with Harry here. I would say the Buffalo Bills right now. They're, what, what winners of, what, four straight? One of the hottest teams in the league right now. They're coming into their own. Joe Brady's doing his thing right now, offensive coordinator. I would have to side with Harry here and go with the Buffalo Bills at number four. They are becoming the team. Even I would even argue they're the team that, quote, unquote, no one wants to play even more than the Browns. Now, Gabe. When you said the Cowboys, I cannot put the Cowboys over the Bills when the Bills just beat them 31 to 10 and rushed the football for 40, 49 carries, 266 yards. That was in Buffalo. And three touchdowns. That was in Buffalo. They're a completely different team inside AT&T Stadium. Completely different team. I don't know what it is when they leave the state of Dell or they leave the state of Texas, but they become a completely different team. That being said, you bring with the Bills incorporating more Josh Allen into their run game has made a world of difference for them. Mm-hmm. Like that, that to me is a huge difference since making the change at offensive coordinator. When you look at the rushing attempts for, for, for Josh Allen, they have gone way up, especially over the last four or five weeks. And I think he's got eight touchdowns in the last five games running the football. It's a huge part of his game. It's a part of what makes him special. And the bills do need to keep leaning into that. So for the Freddie and Harry playoff selection committee, In the NFL, we have the Bills at number four. Let's take a quick look at the two teams we have on the outside looking in, starting at number five. Number five. Okay, number five for me, and this is a a chess piece because I would have had a team above the Dallas Cowboys at five if they didn't get cheated out of a two-point conversion this weekend. So I have the Cowboys at number five right now, uh, in which you had them at number four. Yeah, so I, I would put the Cowboys here as well. So many dynamic playmakers that they have offensively. Dak's playing really good football. They've got guys that can make plays on the defensive side. I think they are a dangerous team as long as they are at home. If they can be that two seed, look out for the Cowboys. As the, it's crazy because as the five seed, I can't have any faith in them. If they, were, if they end up as the five seed and they have to go on the road, like, I don't think that, you know, I, I would have a trouble picking them against the NFC South winner at that point. But at home... I feel so much better about them. I do have the Cowboys at five as well. What about number six? Number six. 
Number six, I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions. I really like what I've seen from this football team versus the Cowboys. Like I just mentioned, that actually should have been a win for them. And it's very unfortunate because the Detroit Lions had an opportunity to still have the number one seed at that time. Um, at worst, they were probably going to get the number two seed. So for things to be taken, taken away from them in those